Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. I'm in my office. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Hello, and welcome back to Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 43, recorded August 6th, 2019. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And we've been away for a little while. It's been a weird summer, but there have been movies, and we're going to talk about some of them. Uh, We're going to start tonight with uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I like how you tried to put the ellipsis there. Yeah, yeah, I... I don't know. People are and other people are not. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's in the title. I tried to say it. Take it for what you will, folks. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's definitely a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's No uh, doubt. But it's sort of a fairy tale after a fashion. Uh, mm-hmm. we, it's also kind of a midlife crisis movie. <laughs> yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, a little, little bit midlife crisis. Uh, Shades of, of Sunset Boulevard here. Um yep. And yeah, there's 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 some slightly surrealist weirdness going on, and some of the revisionist history. Yeah, and and by golly, he does in this movie uh, mm-hmm. with the help of Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Bruce Dern, and countless others. I mean, he, yeah. he, nearly all of his his regular cameo folks are are in this movie at one point or another. Yep. And the credits even tell us about people that got cut. Yeah, which is still a thing that happens sometimes, and is kind of kind of neat to me. Yep. The uh, the apparently like James Marsden apparently was Bert, Bert Reynolds. Um, apparently, he was probably in the party scene, and and yeah. we we just didn't get a speaking part from him. Yeah, he was, he was he was somewhere in one of those shots. I bet. Yeah. No. 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 He got cut. It's like he's in one of the things that like was you know he the, in the Ooh. credit he's mentioned it's it says cut. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, him and uh, and the the guy from Reservoir Dogs and and Hateful Eight, uh, Tim Roth. Him and Tim Roth both oh, have a yeah. cut. Yeah, Tim have Roth. like a cut next to them. Um, apparently, someone does play Meryl Streep at some point in this in this movie. I don't know where, um, but there is someone credited as Meryl Streep. Um, I have no idea where that happens. Yeah. Andy Circus is the Cinerama Dome, apparently. <laughs> Oh, uh, that joke is not going to get old for a long time yet. Not for me. Um, the funny thing about this movie is that, like, this is the movie where it is kind of possible that Quentin is kind of getting on Muppet territory when it comes to his cameos. But I still liked it, so it was it was all right. Like Luke Perry comes in and does a good job, and then he's gone. I don't know. Casting wise, I think he actually really did a great job, even on the little bit parts. Yeah, have to agree. And it's one of those things where, so there's there's the thing where people talk about a lot where they get kind of like, when there's a big famous cameo, a lot of people talk about it kind of taken away from the movie. Um, like, and, but, you know, it ruins the immersion, which this is my favorite thing that people complain about. But anyway, um, I actually think that actually really works here because this is a movie that is very much about 1969. It makes sense to have that kind of stuff happen. So. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of movies from from that time did this kind of thing and and this is very much a, a love letter and homage to cinema at large in in a yeah. much broader sense but more specifically to two movies of that time it, it tries to be sort of in that time and not just a movie about it mm-hmm. and i think the thing that's interesting here is that 
like most of his movies, pop culture is a huge part of it. But unlike his other movies, pop culture isn't a huge part of the dialogue. There are movies that are referenced and stuff, but not in the way that they are in his previous movies. Because they're in the thick of it as it is. Because it's in Hollywood. Why would they need to talk about it when it's all around them all the time? And I think that that shows like, some of his like growth as a script writer. If there are people who always felt like his reliance on pop culture was kind of a crutch, I think he actually moves away from it pretty well here. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, we, we've got actors, you know, playing iconic Hollywood actors. Yep. I- iconic Hollywood figures from the period, uh, including at one point someone playing Steve McQueen. Yeah. And actually, Steve McQueen delivers exposition, was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. He, um, at one point, Steve, Steve, someone, whoever plays Steve McQueen, it's actually someone you'll recognize, I just don't remember who it is off the top of my head. He explains Sharon Tate's and Roman Polanski's relationship at a party, and it's like, it works really well. Mm -hmm. Whereas in any other sense, it would be kind of clumsy to do it this way. It totally works here. and, and to be honest, I did feel it was a little bit clumsy, but I felt like that was also the desired effect. It, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's poking at the fourth wall without yep. actually breaking it. It's, yep. it's, it's not quite, you know, Muppet territory where, you know, no. they, they actually, you know, go to camera and it's like, you know, we're, we are with you, the audience, in on the bad joke. We know it's a bad joke. We think it's bad, yeah. too, but we're going to tell it anyway kind of thing. Right. Lots of little things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee appears as a character in this movie, sort of. Sort of. I am of the opinion that Bruce is being... So Bruce Lee's sequence is in a flashback, being remembered by somebody. So I am of the opinion that the memory is actually flavoring Bruce Lee's behavior. So I understand a lot of people having problems with the way Bruce Lee is portrayed in this movie, and I admit it does seem kind of out of character for him. But that is my reasoning behind it. Tim has a slightly different reasoning, though. Well, yeah, yeah. So when when I was watching it, my immediate thought was, you know, he's... We, we have Brad's Pitt, Brad Pitt's character um, doing, you know, basically, you know, menial manual labor here and he uh he's he's got a beer he takes off his shirt he's he's out in the hot california sun and he's looking up at the sky my thought was he is he's he's fantasizing he's imagining how this would have gone if instead of doing what he is actually doing right now he was doing this on the day and i'm not sure that was intended at all but that was my initial read on it. The more I think on it, I, I think that's probably not what it was. But I could I could also see his character. It's like, yeah, I'll end up on the back lot, you know, with, with a bunch of these extras, you know, waiting to do some stunt work. And yeah, I, I bet Bruce Lee will be there. And I could probably, you know, show him a thing or two. But then I'd get thrown off. And then I'd be here again. And yep. then it cuts away from the, the flashback and 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 he's he's back where he is and he's like huh yep i i think like if it isn't that day um and i don't remember when the green hornet finished filming so i have but the uh, but if it isn't that day i it, it could still be a fantasy yeah like i, I yeah. still think that that's still yeah. totally possible i either way i i think i uh, i said to you shortly after uh i got out of the movie that that scene made me question everything else that the movie showed us from his character's point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's understandable. He's a character who is kind of like at this wistful kind of like past the glory days guy. There, but they both are. Um, so when they have their flashback moments, you have to wonder what's being what's being colored by 
feeling like their their good days are gone. So yeah, like, yeah. and I and I think that makes a lot of sense with like the general feeling and thesis of the movie. I, either way, whether he's remembering or imagining, I I don't think that scene is probably meant to be entirely reliable. Uh, yeah, I agree. But to be honest, like the whole thing, you know, Brad Pitt being wistful is a very interesting thing. I don't think we've ever seen that before. Yeah, it 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 it's funny. It works. It's, uh, he. This is probably the best performance I've seen him do in a while. I, if it's not the best performance I've seen him do, I, I like him in Inglorious Bastards, but his his character is much more of a you know, kind of a caricature of that like yeah like larger than life war sergeant, which would appear in a movie like that back then. Um, so this one felt more. It was interesting because he feels larger in life, but he still feels like a grounded kind of one. It's a his he's grounded in his grandiloquence, and so is Leonardo DiCaprio, who is who is going through a tougher time. Uh, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think they've both got it pretty tough for different reasons, and the film mm-hmm. does a, a pretty good job of of showing us that. Uh, which to me is is one of the the strong points about this movie. It draws you in. It gets you involved in all of the characters. Yeah. You're interested in what any of them is about to do in a given situation. Yeah. And and the, we spend a lot of extended time with Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. And in the movie, you may be like, why are we spending so much time with it? But then you get into it. Like, you, it clicks with you. And you start to see, like, the problem with, like, Sharon Tate, um, not to, you know, not to go too much into history here, but I mean, like, we have such a... Sharon Tate has been sort of dehumanized over history because of what happened to her, which is really lame. And this movie kind of rehumanizes her and does it in a really cool way, in my opinion. The uh, I don't want to go into too many spoilers, but there's like there's some filmmaking choices that someone else would have done something different here, but Quentin decided to do not that. And I think that made it work so much better. She has a really great performance as such. And all of these characters feel like real people, despite being really kind of outlandish. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is this is intended to be sort of a fairy tale, so these yeah. are slightly exaggerated, a little bit mm-hmm. larger than life characters. Yeah, not not the you know massively overblown you know cardboard cutout like like uh, Brad Pitt's character in Inglorious Bastards, like Bastards, you said. Yeah. Just just a little bit out of proportion. Right. But yeah, I I I agree. In uh, in this movie, Sharon Tate isn't just you know a, a historical figure in mm-hmm. in this one event. It it shows her kind of as a person in in the context of you know these other people being yeah. sort of fairy tale characters, mm-hmm. and you know, she's she's human and she's vulnerable and you care about her. And I thought that was a really neat touch. I agree. Uh, the music is like any kind of Tarantino movie. The well, well, it's not just it's not just music. It's also radio ads. It's just the sound design of this movie just totally works. It's like a whole. It, it, that made me think of a lot of Robert Altman movies from that era, um, because he was really into that whole like sound thing. And this movie really uses its soundtrack as as a character, as a part of the atmosphere, much better than not even. Yeah, I would still say much better, but it's always been a thing in his movies. But I feel like here he took he elevates it beyond wherever he was with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Like, those are two movies where the soundtrack were a really big deal. Same thing with, like, Kill Bill. Kill Bill used that soundtrack a lot. But I feel like here is this is, like, the apex of a Quentin Tarantino soundtrack working in a movie. Like, I can't think of any movie that uses its additional music as well as this film. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, it 
it's 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 a subtle thing. I mean, mm-hmm. so many movie goers now are are so used to you know surround sound mixes that we almost don't even notice them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's weird when you hear a movie put basically all of its sound for you know, e- even a brief period only in the front. Yep. Well, and that makes sense because stereo wasn't a, like a huge thing yet. I mean, like by the, by the mid 60s, stereo was a big thing. But if you were going to go see a movie projected, chances are you're seeing it in a mon- monaural manner. So that makes a total that totally makes sense here. Also, all of those old songs that exist were not mixed for stereo. Right. So, yeah. Also mono. Uh, yeah. So, like, like you said, it was it was kind of a strange thing and and a little bit immersive, but it was still kind of dreamlike. It's like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm watching a movie, but the movie's doing this, and it, it it kind of makes you think about it without breaking the whole experience. It doesn't take you out of it. It's it's just a no, not at all. It's 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 a reminder. It's 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 sprinkling fairy dust, as it were. I like that. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, so like the so technically like all the technical aspects of this movie is really good. The script is actually quite good. I think it's his most personal movie. Everyone gives a great performance. There it's very different from all the other movies you've seen lately, and I know that's been somewhat off-putting for people. Um, the, <laughs> there's a lot of driving around. It is uh, so Quentin always talked about a hangout movie, and this is probably the best example of a hangout movie. I mean, Dazed and Confused is actually a pretty good example of a hangout movie. This has more plot than that, um, <laughs> but it has that general kind of feeling. It ha- it's interesting because like him and Linklater came up at about the same amount of time in the mid 90s or the early mid 90s and so to actually see some of that influence kind of sneak in on him is really interesting because i feel like i've seen tarantino sneak in on link later but i've never seen it go the other way (laughs) yeah that's that's an interesting point i hadn't thought about Uh, that i just thought of it just talking out loud right now so um (laughs) hey that's why i love doing this exactly yeah so i I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, you're gonna, you may have to be more patient with this movie with other ones. I had a concern that if you don't know that much about 1969, it might not be as cool of a movie for you. It is very movie nerd centric, uh, but all of his movies are movie nerd centric. And I think they've still been friendly to people who weren't movie nerds. Yeah. I'm a history buff. And this is this is a, an era that I actually like wrote papers about. So um, I admit I own, I know a lot here, but so I had to talk with Tim about this. He's kind of assured me that he thinks that it's actually still fine, even if you don't. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. I'm not as up on the history uh, of this specific time period as you are. I, I know certain things. Mm-hmm. This is not something I was intimately familiar with going in. So I, I did not have all of my, my history gears engaged and, and going as I was watching this movie. I, you know, I could kind of see, okay, there's a dot, there's a dot, there's a connection yeah. here somewhere. But I didn't make those connections until like halfway through, two-thirds of the way through the movie. I was like, oh. Right. So, yeah. But to me, even without that that deeper history knowledge, I thought this still worked pretty well. And and that's good to hear because remember when we talked about the new Halloween movie, I was like, here are these references. How did they work for you? And you were like, they were weird. Um, so like, it's good to hear that that isn't happening. Here. Yeah, yeah. So. I I didn't feel that here at all. I mean, whereas with with Halloween, I was like, yeah, that's that's a little too on the nose and and too mm-hmm. you know, self indulgent. Almost. Yep. I'm not sure that's exactly the right term, but I, 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 I think you take my meaning. Yeah, I always kind of it was like it was kind of fan pandering um, uh, to bit, me. Yeah. 
Um, but it was one of those things like you would have to have been fan. Like, I don't know because you hadn't seen all of the movies. I had seen all the movies, so like yeah. that's. But if you were getting that and hadn't seen all the movies, that said something. I felt. Yeah, ha- having only seen the original very recently before watching that one i was like yeah i i see what you're doing here and i i get some of it but it's it's a little too much yep and that movie does and this and once upon a time in hollywood see i I tried to do it there too does not do that so yeah go for it people i'll say that um Grade wise, I'm gonna I'm giving it a flat ninety, only because like I feel like it's so much better when you have all that extra knowledge. But the uh, the more I think about the movie, the more I like it. The so this it's gonna stick with me for a bit. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll go a little better and and give it a, a flat A. I mean, if if we were gonna go super granular, which yeah, I I don't really mm-hmm. like to do with movies, but this this is probably like a ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, uh, in, enough that I would just call it an A, which is what I'm doing. Yeah. This is like a B plus A minus movie, and so I'm just flat saying A minus here. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, with with the caveat that I have not seen uh, Tarantino's entire body of work. Uh, watch watch for a, a new column on uh, some of that in, uh, <laughs> in the future. Um, yeah, I think this is probably my new favorite of his. Uh, it's it's definitely a new favorite of mine. Um, the I'm a big fan of the Kill Bill movies. I really like Inglorious Bastards. For a long time, I would say that's his best movie. Um, I'm starting to rethink that. Pulp Fiction is his most important movie, but I wouldn't call it his best movie. The guy has grown as a filmmaker. Yeah, um, which, yeah. Which which is what one would hope to do. Now, mind you, Death Proof is not that great of a movie. Um, but you know, I have seen all of his movies, and I still think this is one of his better ones as well. So yeah, this this is one I I think. Uh... Will will probably have earned a place on my shelf by the time it its video releases. So yeah, yeah. If this was, I would be very surprised if this is not nominated for best picture, um, especially because we live in this like nine nominee kind of world. Um, if we yeah. only had if we only had five nominees like we used to back in the day, um, this this being a summer release would have probably hurt it more. But that doesn't matter so much right now, and that's kind of cool. So I would suspect this being on the best of things for at the year end yeah i i tend to agree um but i mean i i don't know we'll we'll have to see what the the awards bait prestige slate brings us in the next few months yeah although those seem to not be doing as well as they used to in years past they Um, they haven't been uh it's it's been a big year but still a weird year for very strange the, 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 the big mainstream blockbusters so, Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. There, there are a couple more of those coming at least that are just going to steamroll everything else, you know, but so between true. them at least. So, yep. uh, anyway, that's Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> it's a strong recommendation from both of us, I think. Yep. What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. How many of these things are there? Seventeen and counting. That's messed up. So Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is in Yeah, yeah. Very nearly all the kaiju from uh, from the old Toho studio. Yep. Uh not not quite. I don't think we got Mecha Godzilla. No, but to be honest, Mecha Godzilla was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, um, you're not wrong, you're not wrong. 
Uh, uh, also, Mechagodzilla isn't a, isn't like an actual. Uh, he's he's a robot. He's developed. He's not like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's he's a, these are elemental kaiju from the earth. Whereas Mechagodzilla is Mecha, so we, yep. uh, we yeah we don't get King Kong either. But this is that's for other reasons. Well, yeah, um, is is in fact mentioned by name uh, more he than is. once. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we do get that this will connect to Kong Skull Island uh, set in the same universe as the previous Godzilla film and this one so we've we've got that being set up should be should be a movie yep it should be a movie um, we, but the, you know the big deal is we got Ghidorah this. Yeah, um, yeah, King Ghidorah, uh, who yep. Monster Zero, also known as yep, yep, um, who apparently is an alien, not from around here. Apparently, I, I don't remember anything from the original movies. I, when, I don't when, either. When it comes to him, other than him being an annoying problem, yeah. But there, but that is all of the other ones in the other movies. So they, in those other movies where Godzilla is protector, um, he's just you know, oh, and this is the thing I have to beat up for this movie. Um, yep. yep. <laughs> which is, which is fine. Like that's like I. It's funny that I never got into wrestling, but I was totally into this as a kid. Um, <laughs> but they're not that different. No, um, they're they're really not. There's uh, there's be, there's more rubber in these, but more rubber and no smack talk. That's the thing. If uh, if Godzilla had done smack talk, maybe I wouldn't have been into it or something like. Anyway, so so this movie has a close analogous with the original series, um, a movie called Destroy All Monsters. At least that is the best to my memory. It's most like Destroy All Monsters. Yes, we decided that one. Destroy All Monsters, not yeah, All Monster yeah. Attack. That was the other movie. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, Destroy All Monsters. There's a lot of Godzilla movies, y'all. And so chances are they're going to retread something and don't be surprised that this retreads a few movies. Anyway, so we have more compelling humans this time played by Millie Bobby Brown, Kyle Chandler and Tessa Farmiga. Um, They are a family and they are a broken family having to deal with, you know, loss and stuff from the previous Godzilla issues. And that that is interesting. For once, they actually kind of use the whole collateral damage of being a human in a Godzilla world in a much more interesting manner. Um, the thing is, though, that doesn't mean it makes for a better movie. It just uses its humans slightly better than the previous movie did, which is nice. I'm yeah, not going to... Yeah. yeah, it's an improvement. It is, it is. I mean, for as as intense as, as all the, you know, action and destruction is in these, these last couple of movies... I I thought this one was more fun. Was a little more popcorny. Oh totally. I, I I connected with the humans more without being holy crap depressed because Brian Cranston is crying. Yeah, yeah, and and there was also like and, and the other thing about this and there was in the first movie where uh, I can't remember his name, but you know Quicksilver, um, <laughs> whatever you know the Quicksilver slash Kickass that kid whatever his name is. Um, so lead male human from the last Godzilla movie. He was always in a bad situation and always lived. And by the third or fourth time he survived, you were like, really, really? Whereas there's a good excuse for these humans to survive um, because usually they're not actually that close to where the action is, so. Yeah, uh, gotta look here. Um, (laughs) Tim's not gonna let it go. He's gonna find out who it was. I am. It was Vera Farmiga. Vera Farmiga, oh, I said Tessa Farmiga, oops. Yes, Vera Farmiga. Tessa's the sister. Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. That's right. I knew he had three names. Yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, the, 
the human cast were yeah, a, a little more engaging in in a way that was not off-putting, which mm-hmm. I, I got a little bit out of the last one. Um, and I, I, I felt there were times that the previous film favored its human cast a little too much over yeah. Godzilla. It's like, it's a Godzilla yeah. movie. We should be seeing a little more of Godzilla. Yeah, well, I guess we don't see him too much in the first one, but that was the first one. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the 50s one, so they, they actually, it took a lot of effort, and they were trying to make him scary. Yeah, so, and, and less is more. You don't want to show too much of your monster, but, yeah. yeah. Whereas this one buys into that whole, like, 60s color film Godzilla world, right. where, like, we got to show as much Godzilla as we can, so. And they did. And they did. And a bunch of other kaiju as well, which, which was Rodan, fun. Yeah. We got Mothra, mm-hmm. um, King Ghidra, like we already said, and uh, I don't think we had Hedorah, which would have been interesting. Mm, no, I don't think so. Yeah, but we had like a bunch of ones that you would recognize from other movies. Other yeah. ones that are clearly supposed to be mentioning something else, but they didn't quite have the rights to it, or it's my guess. But nonetheless, it's uh, if you want to see a bunch of kaiju fight each other, this is the movie for you. Yes, yes it is. There's a 10-year-old in the theater, and at one point, Mothra does her, like, Mothra lightning bug thing, and he just lost it. So, <laughs> that, that, uh, that's amazing. If, if there's anything to be said for this movie, it is a movie that 10-year-old boys were really into, so. Yeah, probably some 10-year-old girls, too. Hopefully, yeah. No, there's, there's, there's plenty there. Um, so, all of that said, I, I did enjoy this movie. It's not a great movie. It's not gonna be... It's a Godzilla movie, folks. Come on, it's yeah, we, it's it's popcorn and and, summer popcorn and giant monsters slugging it out, and you know lots of you know buildings being flattened and all of that. It's it is what it says on the label, mm-hmm. but it's still a lot of fun if you're into that sort of thing. So yeah. It's, it's hard to give it a grade because it it's uh, you're grading it on like like if you're gonna grade it compared to other Godzilla movies. Well, I like this more than the last Godzilla Godzilla movie. It's not maybe as smart as the very first Godzilla movie. Um, it's like it's it's a movie, so it's sort of on this like C plus B minus world that this movie doesn't really suck, but it's not exactly great either. It's yeah. fun. To, it's a fun movie to spend your time with. So that's the thing. Like I'll say that it's uh, if I can't give it an adequate like actual letter grade, I'll say eh, I'm not mad. I spent yeah, I'll 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 go ahead and give B minus just because I did mm-hmm. enjoy it. It is fun, but don't expect too much. Yep. Yeah. And speaking of summertime popcorn movies that maybe we we're taking too seriously. You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. What? Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work because I am going on vacation. Spider Man: Far From Home. Yes. Yes. So our favorite Arachno boy. Go, travels abroad on a trip to Europe with all of his buddies and a, I don't know, how, how spoil, spoilery should we do? I guess the, the, spoil, the, the twist happens midway, so I guess it's all... The, the, the twist is midway, and it's, frankly, it's pretty obvious yeah. going in. It's like, this guy, this guy does not pass the sniff test. Mm-hmm. Kind, kind of like Robert Redford way back in, in Winter Soldier, however many yeah. years ago that was. All right, anyway, so we'll just talk. Mysterio is the villain of this movie, although it's kind of set up that at first that he's not, but I kind of feel like in the trailers you kind of knew that he was going to end up being the villain. Yeah, so, it's like um, yeah, this, he's, he's been a, a villain in Spider-Man comics for years and years, years and years. And, it looked yeah. like the twist was going to be, oh, maybe he's not, except the twist is that, well, yeah, he actually he is. is. Yeah. 
So this movie, Tim and I were discussing before this, is we're wondering how this... We're wondering if there was a script for this movie that was different in that it was, you know, it was the same kind of thing. Like, Peter tries to balance his, like, you know, being Peter Parker slash being Spider-Man life and then goes on this trip with his friends and then encounters this villain and has to deal with it. Like, we're wondering if there was a script that was just that, but then there had to be this whole, oh, we have to deal with tying into Endgame. And we're wondering if that muddled up things. I I don't know. I mean, I think it did a little bit because they did pretty much have to spend some time addressing how things played out in Infinity War and, and Endgame because mm-hmm. the way they, they wrote that, it affected literally the entire Marvel Cinematic World. Universe. Yeah. So yeah, nothing was going to be untouched by it. And yeah. I, I didn't feel like they spent too much time on that specifically they they mm-hmm. did address it and we got a couple little scenes it's, okay so this this is how people are dealing with you know some of these instances these eventualities if this happens then this is how people would react and mm-hmm. you know, and how they would move forward so there was there was that but i i did feel like there were a lot more moving pieces in this one than mm-hmm. in the last one that i i felt like had a tighter focus on on Peter slash Spider-Man and and that whole dynamic and him trying to figure that out, which is a great place to tell Spider-Man stories and a hard place to tell Spider-Man stories because a lot of those have already been told pretty Mm -hmm. well. Not necessarily in movies, but... It just in general, yeah. Yeah. And and I think you're right. Like, I think they just had too much they had to contend with on here, and it does kind of... It hurts the focus. Um, However, the the villain still could have been more interesting. He um, really could. Ultimately, I mean, as much as I like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal as the character, because he does a really good job as Mysterio. The problem is, ultimately, Mysterio kind of becomes this Scooby-Doo villain. Um, that not get me wrong, I love me some Scooby-Doo, but you know, not a whole lot of depth when it comes to the villains there. And that it also doesn't help that he looks like a Scooby-Doo villain. For a big it chunk really of the doesn't. Too. Yeah. So like all that is like that's that's my big beef is that I wish the the, the villain was more interesting. But the problem is the th- and but the reason that kind of exacerbates my issue with the movie is the fact that there's some really smart things going on talking about fake news and media portrayal and like showing the people what they want to see. It's almost like someone watched Network and then wrote this script. Um, <laughs> like it's a, or just you know, or just lived in today's world and you know came up with things. But anyway, so. All that's really interesting. There's some pretty fascinating, like, deeper things being looked at, but as deep as you can in a comic book movie. And that's interesting, but it's made all, like, and that's the thing that frustrates me about it, is that that interesting thing is kind of mucked up by a Scooby-Doo villain. I feel like he should be more interesting, or at least deeper, than <laughs> than what we get. Yeah, and, and we do get some moments where they kind of tried to play that up, where he's, mm-hmm. he's he seems to be forming a connection with, with Peter. And yeah. those kind of work but kind of also don't I'm, I'm i'm not sure they they didn't quite land i think where they wanted them to land for me mm-hmm. as i was watching it and it could just be that you and i have seen too many movies and we just generally distrust anybody that yeah would like. that that is a very real possibility uh yeah. so, i mean yeah you, you see a lot of movies you're you're gonna get some bias it it happens it happens so yeah, you're 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 not wrong. Um, so it's it's interesting because like I feel like it is a, it's a not as focused movie, but I also feel like it's smarter in other ways. 
So it's it's kind of this one's another difficult one for me to grade because I think it's you know it's it's it still has that summer popcorn thing. So I'm not trying to be too mean to it. Um, so I don't know. This one's probably kind of like a B or B minus kind of movie. Um, yeah. I had fun. I had a good time. That was the kind of most important thing here. Um, I saw a teenage arachnid kid fly around the world and save it. So yeah. yep, yep. Um, yeah, I I'm I'm with you there as well. I I enjoyed the movie. Not as much as I liked Homecoming. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, probably a, about a B, which yeah. again on a curve. It's like, you know, okay, you know, comic book superhero part of this giant MCU thing. Yeah. So yeah, all all of that taken into account, requisite grains of salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably about a B. And they probably could have given more time between this and Endgame, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think that probably would have helped too. It was it was really really close. It was it was what like two months. Yeah, it was really close. Two or three months. Like it was a really short amount of time. Yeah, and guess which one of those movies is still playing in theaters? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's not this one. <laughs> nope. <sighs> well, that was like three movies we've seen this summer that we you know had a, had feelings about and opinions. So yeah, we uh yeah. It's yeah. uh, all, all else fell. I mean, like, I don't know. It hasn't been the worst summer. I just didn't want to see that many remakes of movies that were okay to begin with. So yeah, remakes and and sequels. It's 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 been a little heavy. Yeah, getting so. getting a little franchise fatigue, if you will. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, that's not to say that there weren't other movies. Uh, and between the two of us, we've seen some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of others. Not as much overlap, weirdly, because we no. haven't quite been that coordinated this summer. Sorry, folks. Sorry, uh, guys. But if you're Sup- interested, hit us up on uh, on the Twitters, and uh, maybe we'll respond. Maybe, yes. <laughs> so, that's our show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again real soon. Bye. Bye.